Hello, welcome to Skip It, the podcast that reviews and dissects the classic Australian television show Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. I am joined by Lee. Hey, Johnny. And Ashwin. Hey, guys. And we are up to the second last episode, if you can believe it, episode 38, The Long Night. This episode was directed by Max Varnell, of course, regular of script, of course, by Ross Napier, producer Dennis Hill, series producer Lee Robinson. It's got a few extra guest stars. Uh, We'll get to those guys when uh, we come across them. This one first aired on the 30th of the 9th, 1968. And we start off with a shot at night where sort of in the ranger station, Clancy's on the floor doing some homework. It looks pretty late. Um, we're not sure at the moment. And Matt pulls up in a in his um, truck, his ranger truck, and he looks very, very tired. Uh, we sort of get the impression. He finds Clancy in the lounge room working away. Clancy says she didn't expect him back until tomorrow. Matt then says uh, he had time to spare, so he came home early. Clancy goes and gets Matt a hot chocolate, which, you know, he needs because he's super tired. I'm assuming it's like... 12 o'clock-ish. Do you guys know if they give us an exact time? I don't remember the time, but I was going to ask, was it a chocolate or was it... I thought she said coffee. It would make more sense. Oh, sorry, it was a coffee. I thought it might have been a hot chocolate. No, Lee, I remember this starkly because she definitely said chocolate. I'll get you a chocolate. And I was like, I thought hot chocolate was invented in the 80s. This is that was why it was so shocking for me. I made a note. That. <laughs> it's oh, wow. been around okay. for a while. I, I think it's been around for a little longer than that, Ashwin. But um, <laughs> I, <yeah. laughs> I assume that um, it was you know because he was tired. It was probably maybe to help him relax and go to sleep, maybe. But I, I also think she he said it's almost midnight. So I think he did. Yes, yeah, that's why I sort of that. assumed it was twelve-ish. And yeah, it's a long night ahead. Uh, this is just the start. From an acting perspective, when Mark was in the car, he was really hamming up how tired he was. Was that good acting or overacting? I thought it was a bit over. I'm curious, did you guys, were you perturbed by that or did you find that quite natural, tired acting? I think that was very natural, tired acting for the time, <laughs> which yeah. was a lot of blinking, I think he did. And, yeah. um, and sort of looking a little bit dazed, maybe. That was the, uh, yeah. <laughs> the style, I guess. All right. It's from the theatrical era. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. He, like, you know, he probably had to be a little bit more expressive than he probably needed to be. Um, mm. The phone rings and Matt answers it. Obviously, he's a little bit surprised because it's late. The person on the phone starts talking and he says to them that he's been away for a few days and it said something about Brixton Road and what's that got to do with us. Uh, Matt then says he'll check and call them back. Uh, Clancy asks who was on the phone and Matt explains that it was the police and a man was hit by a car on Brixton Road and the driver didn't stop. Matt then says... Uh, two witnesses saw it and it was, they witnessed a range of vehicle that did it and then dun, dun, dun. And we are into the intro. So it was a pretty wild start there in that respect of nothing happening to something really terrible happening. Um, Ashwin, what do you reckon of this uh, intro? Yeah, it was quite a dark intro. Cause I'm always like a bit disturbed when one of the family's in trouble. I like mm. it when they're rescuing someone, saving someone, but one of them's done something wrong. Like it's happened with mm. Joe before when he nearly lost his helicopter license. It almost puts you on the back foot. You're like, oh, one of them's in trouble. I hope they get out of it. But um, yeah, it was an interesting start. The stakes ramp up from here. 
but at this point, yeah, it was they they put us on a, a bit of a negative spin to start off with. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is that the tension was without actually seeing the accident. So it's all at this point in the viewer's imagination what might have happened. And it's a bit weird because it's insinuated that maybe Matt, being super tired, what if he hit these people and didn't even realize, like he was asleep and thought he swerved off the road? I didn't realize at that point where we were going. I thought, yeah. then he was so calm that it kind of makes you think, well, it can't have been him because surely he would look a little more distressed, but it was so vague that it definitely hooked you in for after the credits to be sticking around to see what exactly has gone on here. Yeah, Lee, on this point, I actually, now that you say that, this felt very much like a noir episode in that something dark happened, but you never see it. There's suits involved. There's lots of shadowy faces and... You know, I don't know. I just felt, yeah, it had a noir feel to it, which is quite interesting for Skippy to go down that route. It well, did. you know, for what happens later, it's not actually too far off. Yeah. And, like, Lee, that's really interesting um, that you say. I did sort of have a thing where Matt was on the phone when he first explained because I was, like, going, oh, it could have been Matt because he was pretty tired, but he said that he didn't go down that way. So that was sort of, I guess, the way to go, oh, well, we'll discount Matt straight away. Unless the other explanation is... Evil Matt is back at the end yes. <laughs> in his 1950s year, and he was the one that did it. You know, yeah. he would. You, you know, he'd be like, "What? What do you want?" Like on the phone, yeah. anyway. You know, yeah, what you that, was, that was my concern. What if Doctor Stark was behind the whole thing? So that's quite cool that we all went there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was definitely felt like there was something else going on. So we would go back to Matt at, at the station. He's calling the other stations in the dead of night, um, and there he's asking them about if anyone near went near Braxton Road and no one has and Matt goes to get Jerry and really like rudely rudely awakens him like like Lee, how would you feel if someone came in and did this to you even if uh, it was an emergency yeah no I hate getting woken up in general but to be woken up like that I would have been just immediately swearing and be like what the hell's got I hate getting woken up so watching the way that he did it it was so aggressive I think just on a personal note it put me a little bit on edge because and you see how long it's and I thought this was quite good acting like it took Jerry a while to really wake yeah. up and realize what was going on I thought yeah that's pretty believable yeah absolutely no he definitely did, did a convincing thing <laughs> like maybe he was really asleep and he was like oh god damn it I gotta act now so Ashwin what did, what did you reckon about this rude awakening I found it rude and also it says something about the relationship between Matt and Jerry like Matt feels entitled Definitely. to do that. Jerry that way, like almost like a son. And I was thinking, Jerry's a grown adult. He could have been doing anything with his life, having all sorts of independence. And instead of saying, he's like this kind of boarding school kid out in this farm in the middle of nowhere. I'm not sure if it's the happiest life sometimes. I did feel sorry for Jerry at that moment. This is Jerry. I think we all know what kind of dream he was having. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like Jerry could have been doing anything in there. You know, he did, did he knock? But well, anyway. the thing. Like if it is family, you kind of get away. I mean, it's still frustrating, but you, you kind of get away with it a little bit if it's family or like you said, if it's an emergency, which I guess it was, but for essentially your boss to come and wake you up in the middle of the night that's that's but, too much but also in that style too like it's like come on like he just like shakes him awake and it's like get up get up get up yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh anyway so matt explains the situation to jerry and then jerry t- asks matt if uh mark is back yet from football he took he took it and he, apparently matt was told about this earlier um matt comes to the realization that it could be mark um and then jerry gets up 
Matt checks Mark's room and it's empty. And then Matt goes to call the football club. Jerry and Clancy are talking and they say Mark would have come home that way, um, like Braxton Road. And Matt can't get onto the club. Matt then tells uh, Clancy and Jerry that he should have been back by 10. And then Jerry says that he's a big boy, Matt. And Matt replies very glumly and sternly, is he big enough to, for a hit and run charge? Uh, and then that's another dun dun da sort of cut to commercial break type moment. So I thought that was a, a bit very interesting thing. I, I don't know, like I'm assuming Matt doesn't know. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that he doesn't think Mark's done it, but he's sort of trying to find out what's going on. So I, did you guys think that was anything interesting there? Matt always gets a good last word in. Like he's just almost, almost like Yoda. He always gets to have the most sage last word. And you hear him and you go, yeah, he's right. Yeah, Matt's right. So whoever writes him obviously has a lot of sympathy for the fatherly Matt-like character to always oh, yeah. explain what's right. and Not for Jerry. Jerry's never the star of the conversation. Exactly. So Mark finally arrives home with, and then Skippy is in the back of the car as well, like uh, sort of poking her head out the window. And he notices how the lights are on and Matt's car's home. And he's totally worried about getting in trouble now because he was supposed to be back ages ago. Uh, he says, point out, John, yeah, sorry, sorry. Mark has just returned from the footy club. And he's in a suit and tie. What kind of posh footy club is this that, he, that you dress up in a suit and tie? I would be thinking, just like, you know, yeah. at least a T-shirt, pair of shorts. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that's the days where you dressed up, went to the football club, had a nice pub club meal, talked to your mates and stuff. I it, Yeah, I did notice that. I sort of discounted it because I guess it was a night out, but I didn't imagine he was going to the footy club to watch footy. They were going to sort of hang out. But still, yeah, it was a bit weird, him being in a suit and tie. Imagine going to the RSL and seeing all the footy patrons there in their suit and ties. Well, like if, the it was, if it was the managers, I'd be like, okay, that's fair enough for the business owners, but just a fan or just it, someone, maybe he's part it, of the club. And just... <laughs> I'd, I'd imagine there'd be varying degrees, but it could be like one of those things where, you know, it's like uh, what the 16, 17-year-old kids in the bush do. Uh, they go to the footy club, dress up on Saturday or Friday night or whatever. I'm imagining that's that was probably a pretty big thing in the 60s. People still dress up to go to the races. I wonder if back then everyone just dressed up to go to sport. It's like just coming out of that bowler hat era. Yeah, and as I said, I assume he was just going to hang out, wasn't actually going to watch a footy match, because I'd imagine it would be a bit more casual than that. He parks the um, car in the hangar to try to hide it. So he's Mark is just typical teenager trying to sort of cover up all his mistakes. And then we pan as he goes out of the hangar to the front of the car and there is damage on the car so we've got another moment where like oh did mark do it but we're sort of not given that impression considering that he seems pretty oblivious to everything um i definitely empathized with this because when i was a kid i did the same thing not hit someone in the car (laughs) (laughs) but i remember dad saying you know you can drive my car he didn't sing it like paul mccartney unfortunately but he (laughs) he said yeah you can take the car because i was learning to drive and we had a brick mailbox that was on the driveway it was just half a centimeter away from the driveway so you had to be careful Mm. at that age i wasn't and so of course when i'm backing it like reversing out of the garage trying to avoid hitting the front against the side of the garage i don't turn it quite right and i crushed the back and i did the exact same thing first i shat myself because i'm like (laughs) oh my god dad's gonna kill me and then immediately went on to repair control so i like washed the paint from the back of it i tried to like paint over it and because of where it was, I actually got away with it for about three months. And I thought, oh, oh like, perfect. that's a good one, and, Lee, yeah. Until, and this is 
dad came back home one day and he's like, oh, some dickhead has backed into me in the car at the, at the car park. And I couldn't do it. I know, like, <laughs> you might be thinking, oh, he's got away with it, but I just couldn't do it. And I'm like, dad, it was me. I'm sorry. I mean, he's like, why didn't you tell me? And I'm like, I didn't want to get into trouble. Three months later, was he kind of okay with it because so much time had passed and he'd fessed up? I think he was impressed that I covered it so well. (laughs) And and then he was also happy that I'd copped up to it because I just thought I can't let dad think that he's got to pay for this. And like, it was my fault. So I guess my morality kicked in. But at the same time, just that that whole scene with Mark doing it, I thought it's exactly what I did. I'm not going anywhere now. Just put it back into the garage, try to clean. I mean, he didn't, Mark didn't realize at that point he had the accident, but it was just one of those things of trying to sneak it back in and not tell anyone that. Was your kangaroo being a pesky little shit in the back? (laughs) It was. I was like, bloody hell. Yeah, no, every, it's a very relatable sort of thing for a teenager, I think. So, yeah, uh, so he's trying to sneak in. Mark puts Skippy in his box. Skippy's got his own little box that he sits in with uh, Skippy written on it and says, uh, you know, sit down, be quiet. And um, inside the house, Matt is talking to Jerry and Clancy and he's getting very worried about Mark. Um, Mark then sneaks through a window in his room and then gets under the sheets in his full suit and clothes. And as he's doing this, he knocks over a chair, water clots, and um, everyone hears this and Matt then comes in straight away once he's like under the sheets, turns on the light. And then while this is happening, Skippy also comes out of her house to come in. Matt asks Mark where he he has been. Mark tells him he was going to a party and uh, Matt goes through his movements then, like a detective basically, and trying to figure out if he's the one who was involved with this accident. Matt it- does not respect people's sleep. Because <laughs> the <laughs> second time. <laughs> yeah. So we, Mark's been found out. Uh, Mark then tells him the car's in the hangar and Matt sakes, makes a sort of snide remark saying, oh, that's a nice place to put it or something. Oh, that's a nice place to put it now. Skippy comes in and she's all like a bit fussy. Mark tells uh, Matt that she was in the back seat the whole time because she sort of fell asleep and then, you know, while when he drove off or something like that, he wasn't aware that she was in the back seat when he left. There's a knock on the door and then Matt tells uh, Jerry, go answer it. That's probably the police. And then tells Clancy to look after Skippy because she's going all nuts. Mark asks about the police and Matt explains uh, about the hit and run. Uh, the police come in and tell them that they have the license plate, ELU287. It says it's in his name, Matt, like saying it to Matt. And then Matt looks to Mark. So we get these police officers. One's Avery and he's Don Phillips. He's he was in quite a lot of stuff. Evil Touch, Division 4, Rate of Exchange, number 96. Um, he's also in uh, Bluey. And I don't know if you remember, Lee, the Late Show Bajar series that was oh, yeah. uh, adapted. Yeah. That was what that was. He was an episode of Bluey. I don't know if you know no. Bajas at all, uh, Ashwin. No. no, when you're saying Bluey, I'm assuming modern day Bluey. No, no. This is, and this thing, is the thing. Like the modern day remake is nothing like the old Bluey, I'll tell you that. It's basically about a grizzled fat detective and his adventures. They they took old footage from it and the late show redubbed it and they called it Bajas. Yeah. With the blessing of the original actor, of course. And um Tony Martin does Bajas and it's it's just fantastic. It's one of those things that always stuck with me. But um yeah. but yeah, the original Bluey, the Outsiders. So he was in a whole bunch of stuff and he's sort of the main cop. And then we have Coot. I think it's C-O-O-T-E. And this is George Assange. And he was in quite a lot of stuff too. It's also pronounced Coutet, by the way. Coutet. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering that. 
and he was in uh, number 96 hunter spy force like a whole bunch of stuff also barry reef uh so we have the regular sort of tv character actors so the cops come in they start uh questioning everybody um and uh the police that they say they need to examine the car and uh, matt says that they should all have a look uh you know because he's pretty convinced that mark hasn't done it mark says he hasn't he knows that he hasn't so they go all have a look so they go to leave and then skippy comes in and then starts ticking like really really wild like while the police are there um and they say can't you control this animal or something and uh clancy asks what's come over you and she tries to sort of calm down skippy and the police say put a chain on that thing on her and then uh, matt tells clancy to put her in the other room skippy keeps all over the place and um she's trying to open the door you know really frantically um, which is really interesting because this is like, I would have thought this was just child's play for Skippy. This whole scene was madness to me because <laughs> Skippy coming in shouting about something and no one listening to her. So there's yep. two parts. One is why can they suddenly not understand her anymore? Because <laughs> she talks a lot. Like she's yeah. saying so much to try to get their attention. And after everything, it's another example of why would they not listen to her? Like she's not going to be, do- there's something's weird going on. Why would they not be trying to at least work out why she's so frantic? And they just try to brush her out of the way. I mean, I get it's a plot device, but at the same time, I was like, this is madness. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> listen to Skippy. <laughs> yeah, and she was trying so desperately to get out of that door. And they're like, lock her away. I'm surprised they didn't put her in like a little straitjacket. <laughs> just like, like put a muscle on her face. Put her in the hall. Um... <laughs> Comes out like Hannibal Lecter in a little. Yeah, like... yeah. yeah, so Skippy gets, you know, uh, locked in a room. It's very, And then Clancy tells uh, Jerry... Uh, Skippy's going nuts and um, Jerry says that he hopes she doesn't wake Sonny and that's sort of the first mention we hear of Sonny and what where he is so he's just fast asleep totally oblivious of what's going on and uh, she said that uh, she checked on him and he was fast asleep they all go to the hangar to look at the car and da, 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 they see the damage Mark swears that he did not do it at all and Matt then uh, goes and says can I talk to Mark they say he is under arrest so you know don't go anywhere, and the charges well may be murder. <gasps> Zoom in on Mark. So cut to ad break, and Skippy trying at the door again. So these cops are like straight onto it. Matt and Mark talk in the house, and Mark asks if he believes uh, him. Matt says that he does, but he still hasn't. It doesn't explain why he took so long to get back. Mark says he gave Jenny Turner a lift, and they sat and talked a while. Mark and Jenny um, sitting in a tree, which is obviously why he was so embarrassed to talk about it, which is very natural. And Mark asks if they can arrest someone for for something he didn't do. And, uh, you know, Matt's a bit... And then we have uh, the police at the car and they're sort of left alone um, and they're looking at the car and they can't find the film. They're talking about a film and this is where we find out that these guys are not police at all. They are industrial spies. And it's a bit confusing, but I have a feeling they stole the car while Mark was at the football club because they'd been following him. And then they used it to steal these plans at the chemical plant while Skippy was in the back the whole time. So they're looking for the film and they can't find it. And basically Coot says that he wouldn't have thrown it in the back of the car if he didn't think the police weren't onto them because they came across the police. Avery says that uh, Mark must have the f- found it and um, they go to the house. Uh, Skippy is still trying to... He, she actually tries to go and latch the window now. So she's mixed it up. 
Avery comes in and says that he would like to ask Mark some questions alone. Matt insists that he come, and this is like where it gets really dodgy because definitely an adult should be there and definitely there should be a lawyer there if there's a police person there. You know, like this is definitely dodgy police work, so there's something up. And Avery says, no, he can't. Mark says he's okay because, you know, he's got nothing to hide. And then we have Skippy still at the door, desperately trying to get in. Matt gets a call and then they tell him that something has been broken into. So Matt's starting to figure things out. Avery and Coot, they get Mark alone back in the hangar, and then they basically go in immediate rough guy tough mode, and they get a hold of him. Avery holds him by the arms, and they're going to start pummeling him. Matt goes out to tell Jerry and Clancy that the two men uh, were seen stealing from a new research lab, and they stole some highly secret material and used a ranger vehicle. <gasps> Trumpets. So yeah, guys, sorry, uh, what did what did you think of this, Ash, when this whole lead-up of events and what happens? Yeah, it was quite relieving because they were encircling Mark really well with all the clues, the bumps. Just yeah, It was good encirclement. So even though I didn't think Mark had done it, I was like, how is he going to get out of this? I, I did quite like how the cops turned out to be dodgy. And then you sort of retrospectively look at, oh, how were they acting? They were not following police procedure in all sorts of different ways. So, yeah, it was good that it emerged the way it did. But there was still a doubt in my mind. Did the accident happen? Did they make up the accident? Was it really an accident? Just, well, yeah, there's still a lot of uh, confusion about what had actually gone wrong, which is part of a noir film anyway, to keep us disoriented. So they were doing that quite yeah. well. And I'm assuming they just made up the accident um, and they were the two witnesses or something. Yeah. And they just yeah. said that they were the police. Like, I think Matt should have done due diligence and called the local sergeant and asked about what was going on, maybe. But, you know, Matt was tired. He was basically sort of taken advantage of a bit. So, yeah. Mark, uh, so at this moment, after they find out what's going on, Mark uh, is being tortured by Avery and um, Coot. And they say, tell him where it is. Mark does, has no idea what they're talking about. We cut back to Skippy still at the door, desperately trying to open the door. Matt and Jerry uh, go to the hangar and they hear yelling and Mark in pain and they open up the door. And then as soon as they open up the door, Avery's got a gun on them. Uh, Avery tells them to come in and join the fun. So sinister. Um, Skippy finally gets the door open after that many cuts to her. Clancy then sneaks. Oh, this is sort of sort of interesting, like this bit. So Avery's holding the gun. He's got his back towards the um, garage door and um, they're inside. And Clancy comes up from the dark and sneaks up behind Avery and tries to sort of push him out of the way. The gun fires but doesn't get anybody. But then he quickly overpowers her and then puts the gun to her head, which was pretty dramatic. Can I just say at this point, yeah. it was so good that Clancy's mum hadn't turned up at this episode, you know, because she was... <laughs> Imagine if it was that. Yeah, of all the moments, her daughter doing a, a punch to the face of an armed gunman in the middle of the day. Oh, hi, Mrs. Merrick. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah. Oh, God. That would have been hilarious if they'd mixed that up. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Skippy, uh, she's finally got the door open. Uh, Mark tell, tells Matt that they uh, think that he has the film, and then Avery says that it was in the back of the wagon. Matt says they knew about Mark using the car and sort of, I think they sort of explained that had been following him. And then Avery asks for the last time, he's sort of about to sort of threaten to shoot them. Suddenly, Skippy jumps in on Avery. She does her own like little old school uh, flying kangaroo ninja kick and uh, kicks the gun out of his hands. And then a big uh, fight ensues. And then Matt says that she was in the back of the wagon, like they 
basically overpower them straight away. Um, she was in the back of the wagon and that she hates thieves. So this was Skippy's revenge. And um, Skippy looking at Matt going, damn right, like, I hate them. And then we cut to... Suddenly they understand yeah. Skippy again, after all that. <laughs> now, suddenly they, they know this part of what she's saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very inconsistent. Uh, so, yes. During this yeah. fight scene, guys, did, did Matt hold back on punching Avery in the head or just pinned him as well? Because normally he punches people in the head if they hold a gun I to his family. But I'm thinking how Yeah, I, to be, I thought he did both. Because kind of when that happened, I'm like, oh, this is the moment they've been waiting for to get into a scuffle. Because they yeah, yeah, they're into the waiting diff. for some biff. But it was very yeah. quick. It was. And, and, you know, Clancy picks up the gun, so they also neutralize the weapon, which I thought was good to get, you know, you want that out of the hands of these two psychos. Yeah, I think I think you're right, though. He did restrain him rather than just pummel him to a bloody pulp. Yeah, like, he sort of just held him down, didn't he? Yeah. Um, there was yeah. no real fighting. And then Jerry just sort of helped Mark, and that was about it. Yeah. Seeing Mark get a couple of licks in or falling <laughs> yeah. out like, kick him in the nuts, Dad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or at least just kick kick him while he's down. Kick, yeah. kick, kick him in the guts. Like, that's that's for punching me in the tummy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so everyone around the kitchen table later, and we've got Sergeant Ames here, um, who's uh, played by Walter Sullivan. I wonder if we'll ever see him again. I'm not sure. Um, he was in, oh, he was in Water Rats, Cop Shop the journalist, a whole bunch of stuff. And so Matt asks uh, if they were real spies and Ames says they were industrial spies. Uh, they steal secrets from one company and sell them to another and a lot of money was involved, up to a quarter of a million. Um, Mark says no wonder they got nasty. No wonder they started having a go at him. Clancy says uh, they lost the film too because Ames said that they'd searched everywhere. Uh, Matt then says they better ask Skippy. Sonny arrives uh, all sleepy and asks what's going on because I'm assuming this is very early in the morning. And Sonny says Skippy put something under um, his mattress while uh, he was asleep and then places it on the table and it's the microfilm. So, you know, Skippy saves the day again. Matt picks it up and looks at Skippy and then gives it to Ames. Skippy then winks at the sergeant like she knew all along. Uh, They all smile and then cut to Skippy at the end, and that's it. Our um, finished show. So, yeah, that's the end of that episode. I'll go into the um, reviews right now, unless you guys want to say anything. No, I like it. And I just want to touch back on Lee's point. I think this family goes hot and cold on whether or not to believe Skippy uh, in terms of the plot. Yep. One thing that, that there's, a math, there's a maths to it as well. I think if a family member's life is on the line, they just get distracted by the the stakes of the situation yeah. and that she's a superhero kangaroo and she just becomes a normal kangaroo again. So it seems to be what happened this episode. Yeah. I think you're right there because there was a lot going on. Yeah. So like, we don't have time for magical kangaroos right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're dealing with the police and reality. Yeah. They were lucky though, that Skippy actually decided to come through because she was within her right to be like, Oh, stuff you not only did you not listen to me when I was trying to give this to you before, but you locked me in a frigging cupboard. <laughs> you don't deserve this. That, that wing, yeah. instead of being like, Oh, it's all right. That wing might've been like, you're dead. Yeah. You are so yeah. dead. Yeah, Enjoy that, this was morning. Perfect, that was a perfect opportunity for Skippy's first ever middle finger. She shouldn't have winked at the sergeant. She should have just like put her little hand up with her finger up, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, so I'll go into the review phase. I'd give this one because we've sort of seen a little bit of this before. I feel like this is almost the opposite of that investigation episode where it felt like the police were the villains, but then they ended up just 
you know, being doing their job, but then these guys actually ended up being villains. So I thought that was an interesting parallel. So I'm going to go for 3.75 gum leaves. Yeah. Every time you say that, by the way, like that, John, if you go, so I think I'm going to go for... Three point five. <laughs> You're about to give the best. Now I'm going to give it a very confusing score. I will go with three point seven five. Ashwin, what did you reckon of this uh, episode? Okay, so when I think about the elements, it had a noir genre. They encircled Mark really nicely, and then they pulled him out again at the end. It had the threat of death, so there's some high stakes in there. So for those reasons, I'm going to push it up to a 3.9 gum leaves. That's pretty good. Lee? I actually forgotten about that previous episode where the cops... uh, As soon as you mentioned it, I I do remember it now. But when I was watching this episode, I hadn't thought about that one for a while. So I didn't make those parallels. I didn't draw those parallels until you mentioned them, John. But So if I go with my original assessment, though, I thought it was a fairly novel episode. I thought it was different from most of the others. I mean, from the other 36 we've seen, this... If there's only one other one that's comparable, that's not too bad. It was, like you said, as well, Ashwin, part noir, a bit of a police procedural in some places, which I thought was Mm. kind of cool, made it enjoyable to watch. And I like that kind of Agatha Christie, Poirot kind of tale, which it was a a little bit like that. So it wasn't amazingly clever or tense, but I thought it was interesting. So I'm going to give it 3.5 gum leaves. Oh, so right in the between there. Um, okay, so we're going to go on to, I'll tell us about next week's episode. The final episode yes, of the, the season. the final episode of the season. We are up to episode 39. It's titled View Matt, overhearing Dr. Morton that Matt ought to marry, marry again. Sonny tries his hand at matchmaking when he answers a lonely hearts advertisement in Matt's name. Oh, this is getting very sitcom-y. Asking Clancy's advice. Sonny types out an answer and sends it with Matt's photograph. And so... Oh, please, please be like an Austin Powers. Just, just like, <laughs> like opens up his shirt and it's like hair and he's like, how does that make you feel, baby? Like, something. Yeah, <laughs> like, Matt that. dating. That'll be really interesting. So... He's going to be talking like this, like, you're very beautiful. Like, is, <laughs> very, very beautiful. Now... You're like a villain. creepy you're very very beautiful (laughs) why is he getting romantic advice from his doctor as well that's the (laughs) other make any you're lovesick matt that's the problem (laughs) that's your problem i prescribe you through five cc's of love Um, yeah what here's a note for a date give it to any woman and they Mm. will date you they have to i'm a doctor Yeah, so that'll be a really interesting episode and our last episode for the season. Join us then. Thank you very much, Ashwin. See you guys. And Lee. See everyone. See you next week.